Hey everybody, Double G here from Fight Game Media and the Fight Game Podcast. I hope you enjoy what we are about to play here. So we've been doing a Karate Kid podcast over the last year, and we reviewed Karate Kid episode one, two, and three, as well as the first three seasons of Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai season four starts tonight at midnight. And we're going, to rec we're going to review Season 4 as well. But what we have here is a review of the next Karate Kid. Yes, according to the Miyagi-verse, the next Karate Kid counts. May we see Julie-san in the Cobra Kai universe. Anyway, this show is on our Patreon earlier this week. We're putting it out free on the Fight Game Media Network just so people who are not Patreon subscribers can hear myself and Chris De Patrillo, talk about this franchise. He's such a diehard fan of this franchise. I really enjoy it too. And you know, there, there's probably some information in all of the shows that we've done that uh, you may not know about. All the archives exist on the Patreon. Cobra Kai Season 4 will be Patreon exclusive. So if you like what you hear, check it out. Patreon.com front slash fight game media. It is only $5 to subscribe. So we're going to play the rest of this show commercial free. You'll probably hear some plugs just in general for the Patreon as I do the introduction. But uh, otherwise, that's it. Enjoy and uh, let us know. Let us know what you think. Let us know how excited you are for Cobra Kai Season 4 as well. I thought maybe you could give me a few lessons. Focus. Karate. Discipline. Courage. A girl no one believed in, put her away, is about to prove she's the next Karate Kid. Yes! Rated PG. Dave Petrillo is back with me. I'm Double G. Finally wrapping up what was our original idea for the Karate Kid podcast. And we are going to talk about the next Karate Kid. I got talked into it. People wanted to hear us talk about this movie. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Survived the holidays and ready to dip our toes back in Karate Kid waters. A nice little precursor to the new season of Cobra Kai coming up. Exactly, and that's the kind of the timing for this, which I'm very happy that we were able to do. I had originally kind of wanted to do it a few months ago, but then I thought, you know what, as we get close to the Christmas break, I'm going to have a little bit more time. And also, Cobra Kai Season 4 debuts on New Year's Day at midnight, and we're going to put this podcast up the day before on New Year's Eve, so it'll it'll fit right into it. Now, the Patreon folks will get it earlier. They'll get it several days earlier because we're going to put it on both. We're going to put it on the Patreon, Fight Game Media Network Plus, and we're going to put it on the free feed, the Fight Game Media Network feed. On the Fight Game Media Network feed, folks will get it on Christmas Eve, and then they'll be able to hear us chit-chat, and then they can decide on January 1st if they want to join the Patreon. They could hear the Cobra Kai recaps we're going to do. I mentioned that we're going to do them in two shows. So we'll break down the first half of the season of Cobra Kai in one, and then we'll come back uh, a little while later 
and we'll break down the second half. I imagine you're probably going to rip through, you and your son and your wife are probably going to rip through Cobra Kai's uh, season like in a day or two, right? Oh, I'm ready for it. I mean, I will be, my wife will actually be working. So Zach, uh, that's my son for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, my son and I will probably watch as much as we can of it and then watch it again with the wife, which is usually <laughs> this happened the last couple of times with uh, some of these Netflix shows, uh, just kind of trying to match up our schedules. But I am someone who can watch and rewatch. And especially for the sake of podcasting and talking about it, I want to make sure that I pick up on everything, uh, especially because they're bringing back one of my favorite characters in the franchise, Mr. Terry Silver. And, you know, I'm going to do my best to keep up with you guys. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to try as hard as I can to get through at least the first six episodes on uh, on that 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 same day. But uh, we also have a WWE pay-per-view to watch that day, so it'll, it'll be, the, there will be a little bit of a crimp in my style. But we'll figure <laughs> out, like, soon thereafter, we're going to try and get at least the first part of the uh, the, the two-part podcast that we're going to do. We'll try to get the first part done fairly soon thereafter. So, But those are going to be Patreon exclusive. So those will not also be on the free network. So if you like what you hear when you hear Chris and I talk about the next Karate Kid here, then uh, join the Patreon Fight Game Media. Uh, I'm sorry, patreon.com front slash fight game media. Okay, so l- let's let's talk about the premise of this film. So Karate Kid 3 comes out in 1989. And based off of that film, you know, uh, Daniel LaRusso, the character, you kind of sort of, uh, you know, Rocky had to do this, right? It's like, how much more of this story can we tell? How many more hurdles can we put in front of this character? Ralph Macho himself was getting uh, a little bit too old to play a young a young, you know, technically a teenage karate student. And so, you know, they're like, okay, like, we don't exactly know what we're going to do here. Um, And so this story comes up. Now we'll have a little bit of a trivia, you know, things in the trivia, in the the facts piece of of our uh, podcast here, where they have other ideas for what they may want to do with this series. And it seems like this film was kind of like, Maybe a more of a studio thing than the creators themselves, what they wanted to do. But anyways, five years later, we have a new story. It is the female version of Daniel LaRusso. Um, and similar story, gets bullied. You know, ha- there, there's a couple of different things going on here. But, you know, the, the, one, the one piece that everyone remembers and everyone it's very familiar is pat marita coming back as mr miyagi now this is 1994 i would have been a senior in high school you're you're a little bit younger than me so you're you know you're more of a kid but yeah freshman I, year started for me i remember because i worked at blockbuster video at this time i remember just being like i cannot believe they're redoing this movie and then getting the copies, and you know, it was fairly popular, but it was not going off the the shelves. And so I just always figured, it's like, okay, well, if it's not even really popular in our store, and it, you know, it's not the the movie that you get like thirty copies of because everyone wants to rent them, I was just like, yeah, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. 
And I just never actually got to watching this movie until we decided to review it here. So I am watching this movie, or I watched it a couple weeks ago, for the first time ever. And so it'll be interesting because I know you've probably seen it a couple different times. But what do you remember about 1994 and this movie coming out? Just an overall lack of excitement compared to the previous three. I mean, at this point, you know, I was still taking lessons. I was still involved in the martial arts. But at this point, I had kind of drifted into more of the, uh, you know, more R-rated action type fare. And I mean, I still had a soft spot for the original Karate Kid. But, you know, even then, it just felt like they were really trying to cash in on something that wasn't there anymore. You know, it, it felt like a cash grab. And, you know, did I want to see it? Sure. Was I in a rush to see it? No. And the whole unknown of doing it with the girl, like that didn't deter me because, uh, you know, there were a lot of female martial artists that I was a fan of in, in other films mm-hmm. and in other aspects of martial arts culture. So that wasn't the thing. It was just like, you know, is it just going to be a retread with a girl? Is it going to be the same old thing? Like what new ground are they covering here? Like what's enticing me to go see this movie? Like it, it almost felt like it was kind of like a comedy because you see in the trailer, like, you know, Pat Morita, like, Oh, sorry. Like I almost walked in on you while you were changing up. And I'm like, you know, this is like, Mr. Miyagi is not this wacky character. Like this isn't the franchise that I've come to know and love. So it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right. So Hillary Swank is, uh, I think she's 20 when the movie comes out. This is three years before she plays my favorite Hillary Swank character of Carly Reynolds on Beverly Hills 90210, <laughs> single mom Carly Reynolds. And there's something going on there because her character uh, was was solid. It was solid, but it was what it really was was it was uh, to give the Steve Sanders character something to do. And I think people liked the, the story arc, and then all of a sudden she said that, eh, they just fired me out of nowhere, so she, she didn't know what was going on there. Uh, and also, 10 years before, she wins her Academy Award for Million Dollar Baby. So when you watch back and you see the very young Hillary Swank, like, did did, did her, seeing her in, in this movie again after you'd seen it in the past, like, does, does her... I don't know, 20 year old self age well to you when you're when you're watching it back. It's it's weird going back and looking and realizing that it's her like because I'll get so wrapped up in a movie that I'm like, wait a minute, like, you know, she did Million Dollar Baby. She did Boys Don't Cry like she did all these things, but she was originally the next Karate Kid. And it's just kind of mind boggling that, you know, she went from the tail end of a famous franchise and instead of being just like another child actor or tv actor or what have you you know she really became like a hollywood powerhouse and it just it it takes me out of it sometimes because i'll be watching it and then it's like oh yeah like she did this oh yeah she was in that and it's like it's almost like this film is reminding me that this was her first not her middle or her last yeah um she her the the character in of itself like the, like the movie the the writing and the way that they shoot it and all of the weird slow motion that they do the story it is very dated though there is a charisma to her i don't think that she's able to fully bring it out but you can tell like she's a you know she's playing the moody teenager 
And she's a very likable person. Like the camera really enjoys her. So uh, I did see that in 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 this character, even though I didn't really like what she, what she was given. It was kind of it's kind of like you know we follow wrestling. It's kind of like wrestling where the writing sucks and 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 the wrestlers have to sort of do their best with what they have. You know, Mr. Miyagi sort of mailing it in. Like I'm I think he also kind of understands. Like yeah, this is just not good. So you don't. You know, you, you get more of a Karate Kid 3 version of Miyagi than, like, the first two where he's really going for it. Especially number one. Like, Mr. Miyagi's going for it in, in number one, Pat Morita. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's what we have. And so we're going to go – we'll go over the story. I'll get Chris's thoughts on on the story. Some of this is just, like, comedy. You mentioned comedy about, about the trailer. Like, I'll read some of this stuff out, and it reads like comedy. You're like, what? What is going on here? Uh, okay, so – Julie is played by Hilary Swank, troubled young woman, lost both of her parents in a car accident, and she now lives with her grandmother, and her grandfather recently passed as well. So, Mr. Miyagi is in town for, uh, is it a funeral, or is it, uh, it's a memorial of some sort, but I couldn't tell if the grandfather had just passed, or if it was, this was a celebration of like an anniversary or something. They were commemorating Japanese American soldiers, and her grandfather was Miyagi's uh, sergeant or lieutenant, whatever type of commanding officer he was. Okay, so Miyagi's in town. Uh, he's ha- he's hanging out with Julie's grandmother, and Julie's grandmother is basically saying, like, "Yeah, you know, my my granddaughter, she's just moody." And she doesn't give me a chance, and she's so frustrated by me. And Miyagi's like, I got a great idea here. You go stay at my place in California. Take some time away. Go, go, go do you. And I will stay with your granddaughter, who I've never ever met. And believe me, I am not a creepy old man. You know who I am. But this premise is more of a premise for like a horror film than for a Karate Kid <laughs> film. Julie, look, I've heard all this before. Why don't you put it on a video so I can fast forward through the familiar parts? I love you, Julie. And I know you love me. But these days we act as if we hate each other. Now, talking doesn't seem to help, it just makes things worse. Mr. Miyagi's invited me to spend some time at his house in California. He'll stay here and take care of everything while I'm gone. Julie. Like the idea. And now, mind you, this was not just like the Daniel LaRusso fish out of water not getting along with anybody. She was depressed and not getting along with her grandmother because her parents were killed in a car accident. Yes. So she very clearly is dealing with some trauma, probably could use a little bit of therapy. And instead, Mr. Miyagi's like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll babysit her. Like, you know, go on, <laughs> you know, go do a staycation at my place and I'll just hang here. Uh, it, it's wacky. So, uh, you know, soon Mr. Miyagi's going to understand that Julie is is a lot more than he bargained for. Um, so Julie, she has one friend at this school and is not a human being. 
it is a hawk who she is tending to, a hawk who was injured and uh, broken wing, and so she's helping the hawk uh, mend. And the hawk is at the... Um, it is at the top of the roof of her school. And so whenever she goes to tend to the hawk, if it is out of school time, she technically has to break into the school. And so she does it and it gets triggered and she's got to outrun the police. And, you know, it's it's like the police, if they are not actually athletic and they're all fat and they can't run and she outruns them and they trip and they fall into each other and this is that kind of police that she's running keystone cops type of stuff exactly so then uh someone named ned who immediately uh is the bad guy he is in high school he he's he's all of like 35 years old looking um and he sets her up with cigarettes um, so she gets in trouble. He is very sexually aggressive with young Julie here. It's it's almost to the point of, like, uh, uncomfortable. And we learn he's part of this group called the Alpha Elite. So another guy who's part of the Alpha Elite, his name is Eric McGowan. He's trying to play nice guy, but she tells her, you know, she tells him basically because he's like, hey, what's your name? She's like, oh, what's my name? Go to hell. And so she um, he, he's kind of like playing babysitter uh, so because the, the principal's like, you know, alpha elite, you, you, you tremendous young men. You have to watch this rascally young woman. And uh, and so Julie shakes him. And so he's like, gosh, like what happened? So. She escapes out of the restroom. He figures out where she goes, and then she explains to him about the situation with the hawk. Um, and and so, you know, he's kind of like a good guy, and and, and Julie shows a little bit of trust here. Um, Mr. Miyagi. Now, do you look familiar to you? Did, did you recognize uh, Eric, the no, character of Eric, not. from anywhere else? So his film debut, and uh, you might remember this movie from Blockbuster or, you know, being a child of the 80s and the 90s, much like myself, I'm sure you were in tune with the rollerblading craze. But do you remember the movie Airborne? Airborne. It, what, was it a... Um... That was the rollerblading slash skating movie. I do not. You do not remember that movie? Oh, okay. Well, that Wait, was... Is it, uh, is it Brendan Fraser? No, that was Airheads. Air, okay, that it, was when he took over. Yeah, it, so Airborne was from '93, and it was the one where the surfer kid from California was sent to stay with his aunt and uncle in Ohio, and a long-haired Seth Green played his cousin. Okay, and he wound up like winning all of the bullies over with his uh, sweet rollerblading skills and helped them win the big race at the end. I don't remember the movie. No. So yeah, so the cat. So. That was a year before this, and uh, the guy that plays Eric was Chris Conrad, uh, who plays Eric. That was his film debut. He was in that. And it's hilarious that you made fun of Ned's age as being like definitely like 35 <laughs> playing a high schooler. Because the year before this, one of my favorite movies, and it's actually a complete derivative of The Karate Kid, so it fits in perfectly in this podcast. But there's a movie called Showdown with Billy Blanks. Okay. You know, Tybo, Billy Blanks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And... He is a cop who accidentally kills uh, a felon on the job. So he sequesters himself into becoming a janitor at a local high school, 
and new local kid, single mom, getting bullied. He winds up saving him from a beatdown, which is the main bully and the henchman, who happens to be our friend Ned here, and starts training him a la a Miyagi and becomes the confidant and the mentor to this young boy. But instead of an all-valley karate tournament, we have an underground fighting ring that it turns out the brother of the felon that he killed is sponsoring. So worlds collide and Billy Blanks and his young protege uh, decide to go and put an end to this underground fighting ring once and for all. <laughs> there you go. That's why you're on this show, man. That's it. That's, those are two little tidbits that no one except me is going to care that much about, but they tie in perfectly to these characters here. So uh, back to Miyagi and his frustration. He told Julie, he's like, look, you're not going to school by yourself. I'm dropping you off. I'm picking you up. Just be ready. So he goes to pick her up, and he's nowhere to be found. And so he sees the alpha elite on the football field with Colonel Dugan, and Miyagi starts to sit like he's getting Cobra Kai, you know, he's getting the scent of Cobra Kai, even though these guys are, I don't know, maybe 10% as cool as Cobra Kai. I wouldn't even give him that. Yeah, less than 10%. And so Miyagi's like, hey guys, um, do you know, do, do you see a little blonde, you know, young blonde woman around and... And uh, he also notices that Dugan is just whipping up on McGowan. He's like telling McGowan, like, yeah, try to fight me. And then McGowan tries to fight him and then he just kicks his butt. And so Miyagi's like, hey, you know, where's Julie? And Dugan just gets very, very frustrated with Miyagi. And he's like, you know, just get out of here. There are two themes in this movie which are very frustrating to watch. One of which is old white guys who are racist. The second one is young, technically teenage boys who were just over-sexualized and horny. Like, those are two themes that just run throughout this uh, this movie. And so, as you can imagine, Dugan is just... He immediately sees the smaller and older Asian man and just wants to puff out his chest on this guy. So, the reason we learn why McGowan who we know to be a, a little bit of a good guy there, just based on his interaction with Julie. The reason why he deals with these dudes is because Dugan has promised him that he will help him get into the Air Force. So he's he's staying with the elite uh, to get in the Air Force. So you had mentioned this in the trailer. There's a scene when, they, when, when Julie finally gets back and Miyagi wants to talk to her. And so she goes into her room and he chases after her. And he walks in without knocking, and she's changing her clothes. And, you know, you see a very embarrassed Miyagi. It, that was the moment in this movie where I was like, I bet you Pat Morita was just like, you guys are going to have to put another zero on this check. <laughs> like, if you really want me to do this, you want me to walk in on a supposedly high school senior young girl who I'm babysitting and I've never met, like, there's got to be more than the money that you're putting on this check. Uh, so, you know, she she's arguing with Miyagi. Miyagi doesn't understand her. She runs into the middle of the street and is nearly hit by a car. And the car is coming near her. She doesn't avoid the car. Like, she doesn't roll out of the way. She doesn't barrel roll. She doesn't, like, it doesn't come to a screeching halt. 
what she does is she jumps in the air and the car stops underneath her kind of like she was throwing a karate kick and Miyagi's immediately like why did you learn how to do that and she's like oh you know my dad taught me a little bit of karate when I was little and so Miyagi tells her the story of how because her grandfather saved his life the thing that he did was he taught him karate and thus the grandfather taught Julie's dad karate so there's a little bit of, of some lineage there and now, just based off the idea that Julie did not get killed, this is Miyagi's in to teach her karate. So, question for you. There, the, the trick here with, with some of the action scenes is they just want to put everything in slow motion. Like, every important thing in this movie just gets put in slow motion. I think, I feel like it makes it more corny than cool what do you think about the the tech the slow motion technique it was so overused in the 90s i mean this was 94 so i mean we're you yeah. know we're right in the mid 90s and that technique it was like whoever discovered it i hope they get royalties every time it's used because <laughs> just by the time we get to the 2000s and stuff like the matrix and stuff like that i mean forget about it yeah it was just really like it's cool if you do it with the final kick or if there's a couple of shots in a final fight, like we've seen that a million times, but you're right. I mean, we even had slow motion Nerf gun fights with the kids <laughs> that she was babysitting. Like, did we, did we really need that? Like, did we really need to just see that Nerf dart whizzing by at a very, very slow speed? No, we did not. <laughs> yes. Uh, agreed. So, um, the next time Julie goes to the school again, we are not, the school is not in session. Uh, she goes to see Angel the Hawk and the Alpha Elite, including Ned the Bad Guy. They're all waiting for her. She evades them by hitting the fire alarm and then outrunning them. And then the cops come. And so was she saw somebody she recognized. Was that Dugan who saw her or who was part of the police force? Who was that? I believe it was Dugan that she saw, like she knew that she was in trouble. Got it, got it, okay. Because didn't Dugan ride up with the cops? Yeah, okay, so maybe that's what it was. I was a little confused. I was like, he he's like part-time cop? Like, what's going on here? Okay, so 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 that's probably exactly what it was. And, and so then Julie goes to jail. She's suspended from school for two weeks. And, of course, you know, the boys who were there with her and actually... She evaded them, so they were on the ca the school campus while uh, the fire engine came. They did not get in trouble, as, as far as we could tell. So what, is, what does Miyagi do? He's got two weeks with Julie. She can't go back to school. He's like, oh, we're going to go on a little trip. And I was like thinking, I was like, huh, I wonder, what I wonder what, what's the idea here. I would have never guessed uh going to see uh a buddhist monastery that was that would never have been in my 10 guesses if you would have, if you would have, if you would just pause the movie for me right there and say where do you think miyagi's taking her buddhist monastery not even in my brain at all what did you think again, of the buddhist monastery angle here on this on this movie it felt like like a comedic like this felt like a comedy script that they re like you know we had seen stuff like surf ninjas and stuff like that around this time it felt like something because i mean and we'll go into it too because 
the whole Buddhist thing, it wasn't like it wasn't really positioned as this spiritual journey, this like spiritual awakening or anything. There was like that fish out of water, goofy. Oops, sorry, I made this mistake that goes against your beliefs, but you're going to warm up to me anyway type of stuff. And it was it really was just like a comedic setting. It, it didn't fit the flow of the previous three movies. Yeah, at, at all. So on as they're on this trip to the Buddhist monastery, um, they stop off at the gas station and Miyagi just sends Julie into this old rusty gas station and there's three old dudes who are just hanging out and immediately, you know, well, what do three dudes do? Oh, of course, they're just going to antagonize the the young woman. That That's just what old dudes do. So she gets antagonized and Miyagi comes in and just wipes the floor with all of these dudes. So he shows Julie and now she's like, oh. Like this is real. Like he he's he's a real he's a real guy here. So the the old friend that Miyagi takes Julie to is uh I don't even know any of the Buddhists' names, but um you know there's there's no speaking. So Julie is very um you know, the way she communicates is a little bit different from how they're communicating. And they, uh, like you said, it's it's very much like a fish out of water kind of situation. There's a, a situation at, uh, at at dinner or one of the meals where everyone's taking their shoes off and they're very peacefully eating. And Julie sees a cockroach and she tries to smack it with her shoe. And the entire group of Buddhists get offended and they walk out on her and she has no idea what happened. Uh, Miyagi tries to teach her how to land, how to throw a karate kick and land on uh, from rock to rock. And so this is kind of her te- pra- practice technique. It's, you know, it, it's him uh, giving her something that's very hard to do. And then when she masters it, then she feels really good about herself. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot of teaching here by Miyagi. There's some, like, old stuff that he was working with Daniel on, but... You know, it's it sort of feels like a little bit like Rocky Four, where um, Stallone is training in like the unconventional ways. Like we got all this technology, and but Stallone is like, ah, oh, you know, I'm gonna go back to the old methods. I'm gonna like, you know, pull a sled, and I'm gonna like um, uh, run through snow. And so like Julie's like avoiding rice bags being swung at her. While she's got blindfolds on, so it's just like just unconventional stuff. That I mean, I don't know. I it, it the a lot of the Karate Kid and the techniques and the martial arts is is more for show than actual go. But this one just seemed like they just like were void of uh, creative ideas. I guess you could say. Like, what did you think about the way that he was trying to teach her? It didn't. Again, it it didn't match up we were getting you know to your point we were getting like a lot of trickery like you know he's catching arrows and they're fighting blind and and it's like if you're mr miyagi and you're established and you taught daniel sound like all these basics why wouldn't you start teaching this new student the basics this this is not like the continuation of daniel son who already knows the wax on wax off paint the fence type stuff this is someone entirely new so you've got 
raw clay right here that you're trying to mold. And instead of doing the things that have proven successful in the past, you're doing all these weird, not obstacles, but like almost like these kind of like trick challenges and things like that. It just, it didn't fit the Miyagi character or the training, anything that has been already established previously. So the one thing that Julie-san had to do before she left, she was able to leave with Miyagi, is she she needed Eric to watch Angel the Hawk for her. And that, you know, Eric was trying to use it as like, okay, if I do this for you, what will you do for me? And, and you know, you could tell there's a little... She, she does like him now, so it doesn't come off super pervy. But... Um, uh, Ned calls animal control and they get the hawk and Eric and Ned have a fight on top of the roof uh, about it. Um, They eventually go to the animal control. They get the hawk. The hawk still has the broken wing, but Miyagi (laughs) now all of the, all the (laughs) things so far that I've said that are kind of like out of like, you know, like just not believable. This one takes the cake, I think. We'll see what we'll see what Chris says. I know where you're going with this. I know exactly what you're about to say. So Angel has the broken wing. Julie's very concerned. She's overprotective. You know, she doesn't want Angel to to try and fly and not be able to fly. And she doesn't believe that Angel can do it. Miyagi does the thing where he rubs his hands together. The music <laughs> comes on, and he heals the broken wing. And they let Angel go, and Angel is able to fly away. What did and then you Angel think about- goes on to win the All Valley Tournament that year. <laughs> what do you think about Miyagi's healing hands in this situation? Uh, the fact that they turned Pat Morita into Doctor Doolittle here, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I agree with that character change. Just again, like you have to, if you look at this movie in a bubble and take away everything we already know about the karate kid franchise. It's just a quirky nineties movie. And I think that the reason everything feels that much wackier and that much disappointing is because of everything that we had come to know. So it's, it's almost like the studio didn't do themselves any favors by tacking on the karate kid title to this or morphing it into a karate kid script because it's just not, what people came to know and love. And it's not, the the vibe is completely different here. Like everything, you know, and we've both said it a couple of times now, everything here just feels so out of place. Yes, very much so. So Eric asks Julie to the dance, the school dance, and uh, she says no because she doesn't know how to dance. So Miyagi decides that he is going to go to the store without any knowledge of uh, buying a dress for an 18-year-old high school student. He decides to buy a dress, and he doesn't know her size, he doesn't know her height, he doesn't know anything about her, he doesn't know what kind. And I feel like this was the one opportunity in this movie where they could have created some actual comedy that was meant to be comedy, and they mm-hmm. didn't. They're just like, oh, he just bought the dress. I was so frustrated. I was like, of all <laughs> the situations that you have where you create these moments, this was the one. We could have we done some stuff here with Pat Morita trying to figure out how to buy 
a dress for Julie and talking to the woman and getting uncomfortable. Like, there was an opportunity here, and they just didn't take it. May I help you, sir? Oh, yes. Um, want to buy a dress. Um, formal dance, very important. Of course. Well, as you see, we have all sorts of styles. Do you like an A-line, or do you like a, a T-length? Do you like off the shoulder? Oh, Miyagi like everything. But the dress, not for me. Dress for a teenage girl. Of course. Well, what kind of a girl is she? Is she trendy or conservative? Oh, we can do a silk chemise or a crepe de chine. Um, girl have good spinning back kick, but need work on sword hand block. Yes, that's uh, very helpful. Is uh, she tall? Uh, not too tall, um, but not short, um, not fat, um, uh, not skinny, slender, like this. And given the characterization of the other guys, or even by having Pat Morita be this guy who never met her and staying with her and then accidentally walking in on her, they also, I mean, thankfully, but we we didn't get any type of, oh, hey, you're trying on that dress? Oh, let me see. Oops, sorry. Like, <laughs> you know, like anything like that. So, again, I mean, that's a positive that that opportunity was missed. Yes. But it, it's not even it's not even blending in with the way that every male in the movie has been characterized thus far. Yeah. I think Dugan's the only one who is like not a total creep at some point. So um, Miyagi decides... He's going to teach Julie how to dance, but he's not going to let her know that he's actually teaching her how to dance. He's going to disguise it as karate. So he's calling out different things for her to do in a karate way, and he's also teaching her how to dance at the same time. Now, before she left the monastery, she they, they had a birthday party for her, and her wish was that the monks would come to where she is uh and and Miyagi's just like ah, the monks never leave like I, I don't know if this is gonna happen but on her date to the dance the monks show up to 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 like have to give her away in a sense to Eric and uh, Miyagi does intimidate Eric in a very non sort of Miyagi way, I thought this 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 was not this was not the Mr. Miyagi that we know. He would have been a little bit more charming. He would have been a little bit more tactful rather than intimidating to uh, to the boy who was taking his Julie San on a date. Yeah, Miyagi is not the intimidating type. He, you know, you mentioned earlier about Dugan puffing his chest out. That's not Miyagi style. No. But apparently in this film, it is. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, while Julie's on the date, where does Miyagi take the monks? Where, where where would you like to see the monks, you know, just go hang out and act goofy? Oh, the bowling alley. Let's take the monks <laughs> to the bowling alley. And, of course, angry, racist white dudes... They are frustrated by the monks, and they want to fight. And instead, Miyagi challenges them to a bowling contest, or or what he calls Zen bowling, and he hustles the bowlers out of their money, all while the monks just throw strikes by not even trying and just by thinking it 
uh, and and uh, zenning it through. And so another, you know, another situation in the movie where you're like, man, if they just had one person to kind of shape some of this stuff together, it would have been so much a better of a better movie. But I guess that's the reason why this movie is what it is, is because they didn't have that person. But Zen Bowling, what do you think of Zen Bowling? Uh, I still haven't tried it. <laughs> that might, might be something worth trying to do when I get back to a bowling alley. Yeah, I, I, again, it's just l- like the wackiness. Like there was more comedy or shoehorned comedy in this one movie than in all three of the previous films. Yes. And in the third film, it was almost like Daniel-san and Miyagi knew each other so well. They were almost like an old married couple by then. And and this one is still worse than that. Um <laughs> Okay, so Ned and his cronies, the Alpha Elite, they decide that they're not going to go to this party uh, or this dance in the way that you know you would. You would get a date, you would pick them up, you would have a corsage for them, you would take them out to dinner. No, they're going to bungee jump from the top of the uh, roof of the gym and crash into you know it, crashing the party which ends the party and i think somebody i think they were somebody was like doing it on a dare or something and eventually gets hurt um, yeah one of the rookies was uh he, he broke his arm yes and, and they're all like oh if you can't tough it out just leave them <laughs> so this causes uh eric and julie to leave the party and eric's dropping julie off and right as he's uh, dropping her off, they're about to actually kiss. And of course, Ned the bad guy bashes Eric's car window right as they're about to kiss. And instead of saying, let's let's throw blows right here, he goes, meet you at the docks. Now, Eric is the baby face. He's got to know that meet me at the docks means... All of my friends are waiting to attack you. How does he not know this? Uh, just uh, what are they? What's the wrestling term for uh, the dumb baby face? It's, it's it's escaping me right now. But yeah, just not not a smart baby face, which I guess maybe is to build up Julie to be his savior. Yeah, yeah, she's she's gonna come save the day. So, uh, of course. Ned is there, the Alpha Elite is there, Dugan is there, and they set up young Eric to be like triple teamed. Dugan blows up poor Eric's car. That was not nice. Just blows it up. Uh, So Julie and uh, Miyagi, they follow. Uh, Julie wants Ned one-on-one. And Miyagi's like, you know what? This is a great idea. I was like, what are you doing, old man? Did you forget everything you learned uh, or everything you taught? And now all of a sudden your your young uh your young apprentice here wants to fight the bad guy one on one, and you're like, Yep, I'm good with that. Eric? Eric? Come on. I called police. A guy was speeding around in his car. Obviously, he had a car accident. That's a lie, man. 
It's no accident when fight is five against the one. Ned here could have beat McGowan with his arms behind his back. Got it. Where's What? What are you kidding me? Let me fight him. No. You want to fight me? Julissa, no fight me. Please. Colonel, she wants to fight me. Mr. Miyagi, if I'm ever going to respect myself, I have to do this. No. No. Mr. Miyagi, please tell her she's going to get hurt. Eddie. Right. Now he's time. So he does it, and um, her training with the monks actually works. Ned, Ned doesn't know that she trained blind here, so he tries to blind her with mud in her eyes, but that only heightens her other senses. It's like Daredevil. And it went, she wins the fight. And so Dugan, who at this point, I, uh, I'd, my, my notes call him the dime store crease. Because <laughs> he's going off on his own charges. Right. Tries to tries to get the rest of the cronies to fight Julie, but they all back down. They all say no. And then Miyagi wipes the floor with dime store crease. He does the same thing where he's about to, he's got the knife edge uh, of the hand. And instead of doing the, the honk noise, he did some other noise. It was like a, it was like it was like a timber like yeah like blowing the tree down yeah and then uh that is it that's literally the movie like the movie pretty much ends after that after miyagi and julie kind of walk away and i was just like huh interesting way to end the movie um and it ends uh, up like a tv rock video with like burning barrels and yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just, it's just a very odd industrial scene so I will say I'm somewhat happy that I watched it because I do believe that the Cobra Kai guys really want to connect this movie into Cobra Kai in some way, even if it's in a small way, right? Like even if it's like a subtle thing, like because they really haven't recognized this movie yet. But I know that they've said that if it's part of the Miyagi verse, it's fair game. So I do expect something to happen at some point. So I am glad that I watched it, but man, there's no charm in this movie whatsoever. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, uh, I, I just, I feel like it was, you know, maybe like, you know, what we said was kind of like just like a, a money grab. And for unfortunately for them, there wasn't much money to be, to be grabbed here because it, it didn't do too great in the box office. So, no, it barely made its budget back from what I remember. I think it was something like $20 million, maybe even less. Yeah, I think I have the number here. Uh, we'll, we'll read it in a second. But So I was trying to search for favorite scenes. Do you have any favorite scenes that you remember? Because I wrote some things down. I'm kind of grading on the curve with favorite scenes. But I did write a couple of things down that kind of you know made me smile a little bit. Was it Zen Bowling? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's just the look, right? The look of the high school, which is everyone, all the dudes are wearing the black T-shirt tucked into the baggy jeans with the belt showing. Like, that was absolutely my high school, like, kind of look. So that I thought that fit very well. Um, but the, the, the scene, now, this made me smile, but I'm sure it made a lot of people groan. 
Uh, one of them was they they were in the she, they were still at the monastery, and Julie tries to practice uh, some of her katas, and she brings a little boombox into one of the rooms, and the monks come in, and she thinks she's offended them again, like when she hit the cockroach with the with the sneaker or tried. And so she's like confessing like all of these sins that she's done since she's got there. And all the monks want to do is dance. And Miyagi just follows him in. And he's like, yeah, monks, you know, monks like dancing. And so that made me laugh because I did not expect it. I was like, oh, my gosh, where's this thing going? And then they start dancing. And so I kind of laughed. That was one of mine. Um, there's another scene where uh, right before they leave from the monastery, they have like uh i don't for, I, remember, I don't i think they they have a get like a final gift f- or something and so julie has to watch the monk shoot an arrow at mr miyagi and he catches it yeah. in his hand now that that's very corny but the thing i wanted to point out in in that scene is miyagi is doing this wearing a satin shirt with like crazy 1994 hip hop colors on it, I was like, "That I want that shirt right now." I gotta find where like they got that shirt. shirt. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and then the last one was, you know, the the, the dancing thing, teach, teaching her how to do karate with dancing was was okay. It was a little, it was charming, but yeah, there wasn't really. I, I couldn't really put a, a finger on on a scene that I would say that I really loved. Yeah, I couldn't either. I mean, even the final battle, it just felt very anticlimactic because, you know, she got her quote unquote win. But in reality, I mean, she kicked his ass and then you just had Dugan kind of going off like, come on, no, no, you can take her on. Come on. (laughs) And then you get Miyagi going after him and you don't even get kind of like that, you know, where you think there's like that sense of danger where he's got crease you know, dead to rights. It's like, okay, it's like another Mr. Miyagi. Like he's not gonna, he's just going to honk his nose or blow him down <laughs> or whatever he's going to do. Um, just, you know, as I'm, I'm a little less selective with my entertainment than most, you know, I'm pretty open-minded with a lot of stuff, especially when it comes to anything with the martial arts yeah. or anything like that. And this one does not get rewatched as much as not. I can't even say the karate kid franchise just, in general, I mean, I, I own it. I've had it for years and I'm, it's, it's not even something that I really would put on while I'm like folding the laundry or anything like that. It's just like, if it's on, yeah, maybe. And I know like it's been on Netflix now and everything, but I've never been in a rush to rewatch it. It's one of those movies that it's like, yes, it exists. Yes, I've seen it, but I'm never like, Hey guys, you know, even if it's like a bad movie night and your friends are over or whatever, I'm never like, Hey, you want to watch the next karate kid? It's like, there's always <laughs> 10 better choices ahead of it. Yeah. This, I really, I really wanted to do this for our buddy, Wade. He, he said, he said our series would not be complete. This one. <laughs> <laughs> he said this series would not be complete without the next karate kid. Um, okay. So quotes, there are two quotes that I pulled out that, you know, they're kind of cute, but again, the dialogue in this movie is really bad. The writing of the characters really bad. So there's not a lot of, of really cool quotes that are memorable. I don't even remember who said this. It could have been uh, McGowan, but somebody goes, does Michael Jordan just play basketball? And I was like, that's awesome. Because when this movie came out, Michael Jordan was 
actually retired from playing basketball and he was playing baseball. So that that quote is like the worst aged quote maybe in uh, <laughs> in movie history right there. <laughs> I think that was Eric that said that. I think it was like one of his trying to charm Julie moments. Yeah. The other the other one that I added here was I think Julie's asking Miyagi for a belt. So she's like, "When do I get my belt?" And he goes, "Borrow from from Elvis next time see him." And I, I thought for a second, I was like, okay, Julie is 18 in 1984, so she's born pretty much the same year that I am. I guess she would have known who Elvis was. She did have some grandparents who were older, so she, they probably were Elvis fans. So I guess she would have known who Elvis was, but not the timeliest quote from Miyagi to a teenage young woman there. No, definitely not. I mean, at this point, I don't think people were even claiming to see Elvis inside of 7-Eleven anymore. No, no. Yeah, see, he wasn't alive in all these different places. Um, was there any quote that you could think of that uh, you remembered? None that stand out, honestly. Okay, there's, so... There's nothing I can think of off the top of my head that would be a quotable or, or even like a chuckle. Yeah. So... We, we, we talk about the fight scenes now. You know, we kind of already talked about this already. They're pretty lame because of the slow motion factor. There's only really one, you know, outside of just the bully Dugan uh, and the bully Alpha Elite kind of doing their, their stuff. There's only one real fight scene at the end, uh, or they're kind of like two combined into one. And even the training sequences... They're not great. And so there's like, like, not like, you know, if you're, you sort of talked about the rewatchability of this movie. Like, there's not even really a scene where if you saw it, you would, you would get sucked in in any way and be like, okay, I, I at least I'm just going to watch this next 10 minutes. I couldn't think of one. And usually in Karate Kid, with just about any fight sequence, you're like, okay, if I only got 10 minutes, I'm going to watch this thing for 10 minutes because this thing is very memorable and cool and, and I'll I'll be into it no matter what, no matter where I pick it up. There's nothing like that uh, for that in this movie. No, and even you know with with Miyagi, you know in Karate Kid Part One, it's kind of like the shock of wow, he just beat all of the Cobra Kai guys up. Like he just cleaned house over here. And then in Part Two, you find out that you know he was a man of honor, and you know him and Sato and and all of their you know dirty past and everything like that. And in this one, it was almost like every time he was in a situation, it was either some type of trickery or some type of luck. Like even like that gas station scene where he quote unquote saves her, he's just like shoving them into each other. <laughs> like you or I could do that. He's just like, oh, duck, shove, push, grab, duck, shove. Like there's, you know, there's nothing to it. Like any Joe Schmo could do it. So it's what impression are you leaving that you can teach this girl to defend herself or to learn these martial arts when in reality, you're just kind of like ho-humming along. Yeah. All right, so a couple of pieces of trivia here. So the original screenwriter of the first three movies, uh, Robert Mark Kamen, he had expressed interest in making a female-led sequel. However, by the time the next Karate Kid rolled around, he was already done with the franchise because what he had originally wanted was he wanted a third film centered and we've talked about this before, on Mr. Miyagi's ancestors and sort of this dream sequence of the Miyagi, sort of the beginning of, of the Miyagi family. And um, they didn't want to do that. 
he he was trying to barter the idea of you give me this one and I'll do you, <clears throat> your female led sequel. But they were like, nah, we're going to find somebody else to do it. And the person they found to do it is none other than Dean Kane's stepfather, who I think also directed uh, The Young Guns, or was it The Young Guns sequel? I believe it was Young Guns 2. Okay. So that's my that's my second like kind of tie to Beverly Hills 90210, because everyone remembers Dean Kane in the Lois and Clark series. But I remember Dean Kane when he played Brenda's boyfriend when she was pretending to be French, Reek. Uh, I do have one more 90210 tie before we get out of here, by the way. Um, okay. You, you may wonder, you know, no no, even b- barely a hint of a Danielson character. So what, what was, was Ralph big time in the franchise? No, he said they never asked him. <laughs> He's like... He's like, they just decided to go a completely different way. They never even asked me to be a part of this thing at all. Like, how does that happen? Like, even if, you know, if if, if there is a promise of like a Ralph, you know, five minute scene with Julie, doesn't that at least double the box office in like a kind of a pathetic way? But still, right? Like, you got to try. I'm surprised we didn't get any type of wacky situation where like he goes to visit Mr. Miyagi and Julie's grandmother is there and he's like, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> and, like, you know, there's like some type of odd couple situation for five minutes there. <laughs> he's he's still living there. He's still living at, at Miyagi, in Miyagi's guest house. <laughs> they wake up in bed next to each other. Wait, what? This is my bed. <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would have been a better movie, actually. <laughs> Ralph Macchio as Danielson and Julie's grandmother. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you you taught you mentioned the box office. Uh, so Karate Kid, the original, makes ninety point eight uh, U.S. box office. Karate Kid Two is one hundred and fifteen. Karate Kid Three at thirty eight point nine. So rightfully so, you want to continue this uh, Karate Kid franchise, though it only made eight point nine million U.S. box office. It made it did make a little bit more overseas. Um, but yeah, like the budget was like fifteen, and maybe overall they made fifteen. It was something. It was something like that. They barely, you know. They, I'm sure when it comes to the marketing and everything that they did, they actually probably lost money on this movie. But uh, yeah, n- people were not too interested to see this version of Mr. Miyagi here. Um, what was John Avilson doing here? The the director of the first three films. He decided, instead of doing the next Karate Kid, he tied himself up with one Luke Perry to do Eight Seconds, the uh, bull Good riding movie. movie. So that, I haven't seen that one in a while, but I remember liking that one when I first saw it. So I, sh- I shoehorned, you know, three three sort of nine oh two one oh ish pieces of information in this one. Uh, okay, so before his passing in 2005, and this actually comes up in uh, More Than Miyagi, which is the the documentary on uh, Pat Morita, and we'll talk about it at the end. There's not really, there's really not much to it, but in in the, the documentary, Mr. Uh, Pat Morita was saying how you know he had thought about uh, one more Karate Kid film where Miyagi, uh, a dying Miyagi was training Johnny Lawrence who who is now a doctor 
and he he's kind of bringing the Cobra Kai out of Johnny into the 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 peaceful karate arts of Miyagi Do, so that Johnny could find balance in his life before Miyagi passes away and gets uh, sent to Okinawa, so he could be buried there. Miyagi actually explains this in the More Than Miyagi documentary, uh, but he had you know he had passed away obviously in uh, two thousand and five. Um, but that, I'm not so sure about that concept, but you know, he's, he's, uh, he's very much ahead of his time, uh, because you could totally see a a concept in there for Cobra Kai based on what Pat Morita was talking about. And I wonder if we'll see any of that in season four, now that Daniel and Johnny have combined forces that if Daniel kind of opens up about some of Miyagi's teachings, if any of them will kind of resonate with Johnny. Yeah. No. And he, and he, I mean, he he could even, yeah. And he could even say like, look, you know, Mr. Miyagi thought a lot about, you know, about, about how good you were and he wishes he could have trained you, you know, you know, there could be something like that in, in the story. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, you know, we talked about our pet peeves in the other movie, like the, this entire, the entire theme is really a pet peeve of mine. You know, I kind of mentioned it, the old, the old white guys are all racist. And then the, the teenagers are all over sexualized and trying to like dominate the, the women and stuff like that, 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 I mean, that's kind of like, you know, late eighties, early nineties themes, but it just, it was just way too much here for me. And also, you know, what's up with all the old dudes hanging out with the high schoolers? You got Miyagi hanging out with Julie. You got Dugan hanging out with like five <laughs> different kids. Like, not a good look for these older dudes in this movie. No, it was just, it, it, it felt like they didn't know how to slot these people in properly. Like, yeah. none of them were really characterized properly. Even Julie, I mean, Hilary Swank's an attractive girl, and it's like, was she supposed to be depressed and angsty? Was she just cute but misunderstood? Was she a tomboy? It's like her vibe kind of changed almost with every scene that she was in. Yeah, I almost sense that. Uh, when when did when does Jagged Little Pill come out? Ninety six. Okay, so this is even predates that because I was a you know there's a little bit of like a, a mood there in the mid nineties where you know you could see that, but. Even, yeah, even then, like, you know, unless you, unless Julie is just a complete outcast, which maybe she is, and maybe they just didn't tell that story as well as they could have. Like, she literally has no friends, and it's, it's really weird. Why is, why is Mr. Miyagi everybody who has no friends is best friend? <laughs> um, all right. Notice so, that there's never any, like, other females. Like, I mean, at least, like, even Daniel had, like, a couple of buddies in the beginning. Yeah. Or, like, you know, they were Allie and her friends. It's literally just... Julie and Eric and Ned and the rest of the alphas. <laughs> There's like no peripheral characters at all. Okay. I have two questions for you before we get to the end of this thing here. So the guys, the Cobra Kai guys have said that the Miyagi verse, whatever happens in the Miyagi verse is canon. So I want you to go out on a limb here. Will we see Julie San's character? show up in a future season of Cobra Kai. I think that we will at the very least get some form of cameo from Hillary Swank. It would be fantastic. I think now some people would say, Oh, but that's the forgotten movie. A 
Hillary Swank is a great actress. Mm-hmm. B, it will probably make us feel better about the next Karate Kid if they do this because they'll they'll do it in a, in a better and a smarter way than the next Karate Kid the, than the entire movie. So I, that's what I want to see. I want to see that. I want to like because there's a, there is promise in the story. The story is written very terribly. I want to see them. I want to see them kind of mold the clay of a of a Julie San character in there. Okay, second question. Now, we didn't talk about the Jaden Smith Karate Kid, the Jaden Smith Jackie Chan Karate Kid. The again, the Cobra Kai, the Cobra Kai guys, I don't think they consider this canon because there is no Mr. Miyagi in that movie. But there has been talk like this, like the Jaden Smith version of this movie, they were supposed to do a sequel like a long time ago. And now, you know, I don't what Jaden Jaden Smith's probably like 25 now. I don't know how old he is. So you you probably can't do that version of the Karate Kid uh sequel to, to that movie. It's already been over over ten years now, right? Because that yeah. was like 2010. Yeah, it's like eleven years. And the, the but in in 2019, there was still talk about putting this movie back together. So, I guess my question is: Is do you think that Will Smith decides to utilize the new interest in the Karate Kid franchise because of Cobra Kai, and we see another Jackie Chan led second movie, or is that just it's just you can't do it now because Cobra Kai is it, it, it's pop, it's in pop culture now. Like like that's what we see Karate Kid as, and we would actually not see Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan as Karate Kid anymore. I think that's entirely possible. Um, that brings up a great point because another franchise that I'm very high on, one of my favorite franchises, is the Child's Play franchise. You know, mm-hmm. Chucky the Killer Doll, and. The original creator, Don Mancini, has done all of the original films in the most recent, the USA TV series. They did do the reboot two years ago with uh, Chucky being like an AI type of doll and Mark Hamill doing the voice and everything. And that was basically the studio ripping the property away from Don Mancini and saying, Mm -hmm. hey, we're going to do a Child's Play reboot with you or without you. And he's like, "Okay, well, I own the rights to Chucky, so I'm just going to keep doing the Chucky stuff. So even though Will Smith seems to have an affinity for the Karate Kid franchise, yeah, I don't think there would any, be any type of controversy over it. But I could very easily see them doing some type of follow up or you know another reimagining of that universe, going along with Cobra Kai doing its own thing. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they would do it because I wonder. I don't uh, like. I don't think the Cobra Kai fan base would love it, but. I think the thing we have to understand is as much as we love Cobra Kai, it's it's not like, you know, being on Netflix is not like being on CBS in primetime in 1985 or NBC. You know, it's 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 a smaller universe still. As big as this show has been, it's still not like it's broadcasting in primetime on NBC to where, you know, everybody knows what this thing is. It's still a smaller universe because of the distribution. And I do think that some folks who really enjoyed the Karate Kid films would probably see anything with that name on it. And if you don't see a Johnny Lawrence or um, or a, a, a Daniel LaRusso in it, you're like, 
oh, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I heard about this Cobra Kai thing, but I've never seen it. So I do think those two can exist um, in, in the same universe, or maybe not in the same universe, but they can exist, you know, without one brand getting so upset. I, I kind of hope that it doesn't, though, because I do think for the folks who do watch Cobra Kai and who are diehard about this universe, they would feel pretty slighted, and I think it would probably be a bad look. Yeah, I would I would rather see Cobra Kai wrap itself up uninterrupted. And I don't mean I want it to end anytime soon. Um, I think I already know that we're going to be getting a fifth season at least. They already uh, and filmed it, right? They've either finished filming it or they've started filming it. And I know one of my buddies that also reviews movies and TV shows over at Bulletproof Action, he did a spoiler-free preview and he said, based on everything that he has seen from the uh, availability he was given to Cobra Kai season four, because he got some screeners ahead of time, he said that there is plenty more story to tell. So whatever is going to be happening seems like, at least in the first couple episodes, there's going to be stuff that's expanded upon that can go beyond this season. So that's definitely good to know going into this in a couple of days. Also, I heard there's a possibility that we get season five before the year's up. I'll take it. <laughs> bring, bring it to me. Give it to me now. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be great because, you know, the, you know, we've been lucky. We've been getting it, you know, every, you know, we get it last year and then we get it this year. So if they can do almost kind of like what a, a primetime TV show to your point would do, where you kind of bookend the year where you kind of end one season, then towards the latter half of the year, you begin the next one. Yeah. Let's do it. Let, let's do that format. Absolutely. All right, so do we ha- do we even have an MVP of this movie? Like, is uh, I mean, I-, I would probably give it to, um, like like if you want to give it to a bad guy, I thought Ned was a pretty like unfortunately he pales in comparison to a Johnny Lawrence or a Mike Barnes. So unfortunately, you're always going to measure or a chosen, right? You're always going to measure him. I thought he did pretty decent for what he was given. I would still probably give it to Hillary Swank because she's she, you know, in a movie with very little charm, she's probably the most charming character, but this one was rough to even try and think of uh, who would be an MVP for. Yeah, I would definitely say Hillary Swank cuz at least it looks like she is trying with the material she's been given. I mean, Ned was a slime ball, but he was a one-dimensional slime yes. ball. Like he didn't have any layers to him. Yes. He was just like, you know, he was he was a cardboard villain. So, yeah, if we're going to give it to anybody, I would agree, give it to Hillary Swank for her role as Julie. Okay, so quickly, we both watched the More Than Miyagi documentary. Uh, It started out with great promise because they had interviews with Johnny Lawrence. They had interviews with um, uh, Martin Cove. They had interviews with Ralph Macchio. And, you know, there was, gosh, Henry Winkler's in this thing, right? So there's actual um, star power in this documentary. Penny Marshall. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, the problem with this documentary is... It is mostly about Pat Morita's downfall and unhappiness, which uh, it, it, that's okay too, but it's told only from really one perspective, which is his uh, his uh, last wife, um, who she mentioned 
that uh, she knew him when she was a teenager and he was like uncle and then they got married, which is kind of creepy in of itself. Yeah, because her mother was his agent. Yes. Something like that. Yep. Sal- Sally Marr. Is that her, that her name? So unfortunately, um, Miyagi's previous, was was that his third marriage, did, did they say? I, yeah, I believe that was his third marriage because he had previous relationships with children and everything. Yeah, so the um, the first two wives were not involved in this, and neither were the children, which... Which you wonder. Yeah, and, and because um, the woman who put the thing together, or she, she, was, she was basically the narrator, his last wife, she was saying how great of a father he was, and then at the end of the thing, it's like, oh, his neither of his child, his children wanted to be a part of this. I'm like, really? Is, was he really a great father? <laughs> like, I, that, I'm confused about that. Um, but it was it was um, pretty sad, actually. Like, not not a, you know, th- there was some stuff about his, you know him starting in stand up comedy. Um, he really, really had to make fun of himself really and and his race in order to make people comfortable with him as a uh a Japanese uh person especially during that time frame and uh, yeah but not a lot to it i was kind of disappointed i thought it was going to be good because of the people who were involved but they were very few and far between and really like the last half of this movie was just all about his his last uh the widow i guess uh, i i don't even remember her name but she was I don't know. She, I guess, she was a, a nice person. That I, I could, I could see that much, but I didn't really, I couldn't really tell any depth of of their relationship, of why she loved him, of you know why, you know what was what was his sort of his downfall. It was mostly said it was just alcoholism. Um, he was just a heavy drinker, and there was one story where he was doing a happy days anniversary, and they brought him out, and they wanted everyone on the panel, and. He showed up late, and then he was drunk, and he couldn't do it, and then he made a fool out of himself, and Henry Winkler, who really loved him, was just like, God, you know, you're going to ruin it for everybody, so we got to kind of kick you out of here. So there was stuff like that, but ultimately, you know, not 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 what you would consider a great documentary, I don't think. No, it was, you know, it was cool seeing some of the home movies that they had and, and stuff like that, and like you said, you know, just... Uh, I believe they said that when he first moved to America, he had to pretend to be Chinese. Yes, because of because of the racism in the country and everything. And then they talked about how he kind of went for some of that racial humor, like he was uh, what was it the the hip nip? Yes, he first started out and stuff. So I mean, he was really kind of appealing to that lowest common denominator type of stuff because that was all that was really all he could be seen as at that point. And then they did talk about how he tried to evolve the Happy Days character and he came up with some ideas and then, you know, obviously striking gold as Miyagi. So it was cool to see a lot of that. Talked about how he would, you know, call up uh, Ralph Macchio and Billy Zabka and, and talk to them and maintain friendship. So that type of stuff was cool. Um, and But it was kind of like they went right from rise to fall without really talking about anything in between, anything about trying to like, you know, like they didn't talk about this next karate kid era or the stuff that he was doing. I mean, he was doing movies in the nineties, but it was like B movies. Yeah. Like he was in movies that, you know, someone like me who, who watches stuff like that would know. Um, he did a movie called miracle beach. Um, he did, I don't know if you remember these from your blockbuster days or, uh, but there were basically those, uh, bikini secret agent sure. type movies. Sure. 
with all the playmates and he was in like one or two of those. <laughs> so it's, you know, he was really they you know, he, they were exploiting his name, but he was really on the downswing and it just felt like, you know, by the time it, it was, it was just too late. Like he, he kind of like lost that luster and lost that star power. And, you know, I, I will say that luckily for his memory and for his contributions, he's remembered definitely more fondly for being Arnold and, and being Miyagi and all of those famous roles. He's not one of those people that kind of burn themselves out at the end doing any old thing. Um, it just is sad that he kind of, uh, you know, had his demons and they allowed him to waste away like that. Do you remember at all the series that he took to leave Happy Days? I don't remember that at all. The uh, the O'Hara, the the detective series. No, it was it was like a sitcom that it looks like they shot uh, the first episode, but it, it like I think that was it. Like it didn't it didn't really come off. I think O'Hara was after that. But they talked about him like the the Arnold character and how it was very popular, and so they tried to spin off a version of, of that character and and put him in his own sitcom, and then nothing oh, came uh, about Blansky, it. So I just looked at Blansky's Beauties. No, I actually do not recall um, anything like that. That was a little bit before my time, and given that it only lasted from February to June of 1977, it was not uh not anything that really stuck out i do remember that he guest starred in an episode of the incredible hulk tv show oh wow yep he had a guest role on that and he was you know he was in a bunch of different things there's actually a movie that he did right after karate kid 2 called collision course and it's like a wacky buddy comedy um in the vein of like 48 hours or, or whatever like that and it's actually him and jay leno hmm oh yeah and- yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i remember that they were looking for like the the supercharger or whatever. You know, there was like a MacGuffin that they were both looking for. And I remember it because the first time I ever saw it, it was like towards the end. And it was when Jay Leno was like getting shot at and the car is like coming up the alley and they made it look like Pat Morita like did a flying jump kick through the window to knock the guy out. And like as a kid, I'm like, yeah, Mr. Miyagi's kicking ass. And then when you watch it when you're older, you're like, wow, this scene, like you could just see how it's like a stunt guy and a dummy <laughs> getting thrown through the window and stuff. So but the, that was that, that was a movie I used to enjoy when I was younger. I haven't watched that in a while. So the one um, but, the one that I was thinking of was uh, Mr. T and Tina. But I guess it wasn't a Happy Day spinoff. It, it, that's what the, the documentary made it seem like. It was a spinoff, according to uh, Wikipedia, it was a Welcome Back Cotter spinoff that lasted for five episodes in September to October of 1976. It was one of the first TV shows to feature a predominantly Asian-American cast, and it was a ratings flop. I wonder I wonder if there's any episodes of that out there on YouTube. I'll have to do some digging. Yeah, that one I do not recall much at all either. All right, man. This was this was fun, even though the movie wasn't that fun. Uh, I do enjoy doing these with you, and it just kind of you know it's kind of a a way to get us back in the swing of things because we're going to come back really soon with the Cobra Kai season four uh, two episode podcast that we're going to do. And, uh, you know, it'll be sooner than sooner than later. So folks who want to listen to that, definitely check out our Patreon, patreon.com front slash 
Fight Game Media, those shows will be exclusive to that Patreon, just like uh, the archives of, of Chris and I talking about seasons one through three of Cobra Kai, as well as reviewing Karate Kid one through three. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff in those podcasts because we actually researched them and, you know, we're watching little documentaries on John Avildsen and we're reading different books and stuff. So there's there's lots of information that I would imagine a lot of people have had never really heard before about the uh, any of the films. So th- those are good listens and, and they're all in the archives in the uh, on the Patreon at patreon.com front slash fight game media. So, Chris, uh, before we get out of here, where can people find you? All right, you can find me at Figures Toy Company. Check out figurestoycompany.com for all of your retro action figure and pro wrestling action figure needs. Uh, Some of the new releases that just dropped during the holiday season were the Ring of Honor action figures of PCO, Brody King, a new Jay Lethal, a new Jay Briscoe. We've got the first fully articulated, fully posable Alex Roy action figure in our Legends line. Just released All Ego Ethan Page and Eli Drake, a.k.a. L.A. Knight, in our Rising Star series. Those are all available right now at figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com. You can follow us on Twitter at figurestoyco, at W-R-E-S underscore superstore. Uh, just search the company names on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow my personal Twitter account for all things related to Figures Toy Company and my personal likes and dislikes over at Zach Malibu. Uh, in addition to speaking with Garrett about films such as The Karate Kid, I also review action movies over at BulletproofAction.com. You can check out my column over there, No Surrender Cinema. Just recently did one for the 25th anniversary of the film Bulletproof with Adam Sandler and Damon Wayans. And uh, like you said, we will be back, coming back soon and coming back strong with cobra kai season four so i'm looking forward to it i saw bulletproof in the theaters by the way that is a great movie i love (laughs) all right chris a lot lately too so (laughs) if you haven't seen it in a while worth looking up all right chris thanks for doing this we'll be back for chris i'm double g we'll see when we see you peace out